0: Good evening. I love the sound of all the footsteps going down the stairs. The life in this community. Several years ago, I made one of those heroic attempts in my spiritual life. I was going to memorize the Psalms. Um, All of them. I I memorized five. But it wasn't just memorizing Psalms. I also wanted to learn them, to know them. I would meditate on them, I would, when I went running, I would recite psalms, and I would um, let the psalms kind of shape my prayer life. So when Chris asked me to preach this evening and, and said suggested I preach from the psalms, I decided I would pick a psalm that's kind of a good friend of mine. I've spent some time with it, um, and it's, it's done things in me. And I'd like to read that for you in a moment, but before we get there, I want to ask you a question. What part of yourself do you hide from others? Think about it for about 10 seconds and then share that with your neighbor. Yeah. All right, I won't do that. That Every, every introvert, introvert in the room just had a heart attack, so... We all hide. There are places, I call it shadow dwelling. We are shadow dwellers because there are things, some of them sins, like the psalm that Sarah just read, secret sins. We hide the sinful parts of ourselves. We also hide the parts of ourselves that cause shame. Um, For my part, I think I come by shadow dwelling, somewhat honestly. I can remember when I was 13, my parents separated. My mom had had an affair. Um, And for months, we did not know what was going to happen in their relationship. Um, And I remember my sister, who felt particularly hurt and betrayed, uh, needing to talk to somebody. So she talked to her supervisor at a Christian camp she worked at in in the summer. And she talked to a couple other mentor type people. And when my mom found out about it, she was livid. How dare she share private family matters, family struggles in public? How dare she? I remember an uncomfortable conversation. My sister and I both tethered to the back seat of the car, unable to escape. And I knew from that moment some things you never share. I was well into my 20s before I talked about that with anybody. My parents survived that particular, their marriage survived that particular crisis. They did divorce 13 years later amid a a new round of anger and accusation. And when that happened, I can remember being almost physically unable to, to tell people what was going on in my heart. And, you know, inside, full of anger, mistrust, not knowing how to process that. But I couldn't talk about it. I was a Christian. I believed in community and being vulnerable. I told people that you need to be authentic and share yourself, and I knew that the people around me were safe people, and I, by God's grace, I could talk to a few of them, but I can remember a, a Bible study I led where one of the people, you know, out of concern, was asking me, what was, what was going on with me, and I could not form the words, it just hung in the back of my throat, but enough about me, let's talk about you. since our first parents Adam and Eve we've all had times where we hid Adam and Eve hid when they ate of the forbidden fruit and we hide we hide the parts of us that cause us shame where we feel inadequate body image we hide we hide when we have these struggles with sin um sexual sin like what would people think if they knew that i think this when i what would they think of me if they knew what was going on inside of me we hide it's been said that now that we are in christ we don't need to hide anymore yeah you do you need to hide this is, this is the truth. You know, you don't need to hide from God. God is good. He loves you. He's got your back. But there, this world is not a hospitable place. There's plenty of people that will take those parts of us that are shameful and and use it against us to to get their own way. There's people that will dismiss us when they find out that there's ugly parts of us. There's people that will push us aside we need to hide hiding is good advice but we need to find a better hiding place the Psalms throughout kind of the whole range of Psalms they talk about how the Lord is our refuge I want to read for you now Psalm 91. And you can stand for the reading of God's Word because this is good stuff. You need to hear it. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, And from the deadly pestilence he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find shelter. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. You will a, ten, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You only look with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall before you, befall you, no scourge come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. God, you are our refuge. You are trustworthy. You are the one that sustains and protects us. Pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts today. In your name I pray, amen. This is really, truly one of my favorite psalms. But it's kind of a difficult psalm for me, and maybe it's a difficult psalm for you because it seems almost too good to be true. It, it sounds like it's saying, if God's protecting you, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Nothing. Not, you won't even come close to anything bad. Happen. And that doesn't ring true with my experience, and I know it doesn't ring true with your experience. There are things that we've suffered. There's hard things that we've had to go through. The psalm that Sarah read, Psalm 90, is another psalm that talks about how the Lord is our dwelling place and our refuge and our deliverance, and it's it's got this hope, but it also acknowledges how hard life is. It's easy for me to talk about a lament psalm because it says, hey, God is in control, but you know, life is hard. There's still hope, but life is hard. So Psalm 90 tells us, the Lord has been a dwelling place for all generations, and then it says, our life is but a breath. It's got this ephemeral quality. It will, we, we're here for a little bit. We die. God is angry at our secret sins. And yet there's hope. And I I can preach that psalm, that is, that is a message we need to hear. But then I get to this psalm, and it, you know, you will not fear the terror of the night, or the arrow that flies by day, or the, or the, uh, the pestilence that stalks in darkness. And you're like, wow, you don't have to fear anything. I used to, when I was, would run and, and recite this psalm, I gotta tell you I felt invincible you get to that part where you know you know Lord will give the angels charge over you guard you all your ways on their hands they will raise you up so that your feet will not stumble and I think wow I'm not falling down you'll tread on the lion and the adder young lion and the serpent you'll trample underfoot you are like Wow, I am invincible. I could keep running forever. I, I can strap on my hammer pads and, and do the running man because you can't touch this. It's amazing. But to, to say that this psalm says nothing bad will happen, it's kind of a shallow reading of the psalm the dangers that the psalmist lists here, they're very real for the people of ancient Israel. You know, if you are traveling on the road, stumbling and being the victim of predators, that's scary. Warring people, terrors of the night. You know, Life is hard. And it, it kind of, the psalm kind of catalogs some of the things that people would have to face. The psalmist is aware that life is hard. And also, if you read this psalm against you know, the whole of Scripture, the, all of psalms, you get a fuller picture. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, Psalm 91 is, is the answer to Psalm 90, which, which Sarah read. You know, there, there's this calling for deliverance in 91. Deliverance is sure, but there's still Psalm 90. And if you go back to the 80s, the 80s are depressing. N.T. Wright, um, many of you have read some of his books. He has a recent book on the Psalms where he said, What the Psalms does in us, it does cumulatively. Um, John Calvin, the Protestant reformer, said that the Psalms names the entire anatomy of the soul. We need to sing this song of God's deliverance, but it's, it's a part of the picture. If, if you make this the only thing you're going to say about God and his protection and deliverance, you, you're missing a lot. So it's a shallow reading to say that nothing bad will ever happen to you. It's also a satanic reading. Um, You know from the New Testament that this psalm is quoted on the lips of Satan. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Satan took him to the pinnacle of the temple and sat him there and said, Throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give His angels charge over you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. To which Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. If Jesus isn't our example, then yeah, there's going to be things that we're going to struggle with. I mean, Jesus gave up godhood, taking the form of a slave for our our salvation. He was broken and beaten, abused. His life poured out for us. And if we're to follow him, yeah, we are going to suffer. This psalm does not promise we won't suffer. Another hard thing in talking about this psalm is we actually don't know the circumstances of why it was written or what it was written for, um, you know, because of the language and, the, and its connection to Psalm 90, some people think it's also a Psalm of Moses, uh, and 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 that could be. It could go back to the Israel's wilderness wanderings, where uh, you know you have kind of these travel metaphors of stumbling and predators on the road uh, it seems to fit but another way that people have thought about this is that maybe it's a coronation psalm where a young king of Israel declares his fidelity to Yahweh his God that he's the one he's going to look to for protection Uh, another way which I kind of like but I don't know this, is that it's a conversion psalm where having surveyed the options, Yahweh's good, let's go with him. I'm going to trust in him, call him my refuge, and not look to anything else for my refuge. What we do know is however this psalm was used, initially it was used by Israel in public worship. The psalms, sometimes we call them the the hymn book of the Old Testament or the prayer book of the Bible. And it's because these were the songs that the nation of Israel sang when they gathered together in worship. They're the, the prayers that they prayed. And if you look at this psalm and the pronouns used, it's possible to discern three voices in the psalm. And that's kind of going to be my organization looking at this, is that there are, there's a declaration, there's kind of a blessing, and then when we get to the end, God himself speaks. So, verse 1 and 2. My version says, You will... You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. If you're looking at the Bible in your pew, I believe it says, Whoever. Um, that's actually probably a better Hebrew translation. It's, it was, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Who. He who. Who. Um, lives in the shadow of the Almighty. It's kind of this general description. If you seek shelter in God, he, His shadow will protect you. The, the word shadow has the connotation of protection, of safety. So we... I would use that earlier as kind of the places that we hide when we don't feel safe. You When you are in God's shadow. You are safe in His presence. So there's this general statement, and then verse 2 is a declaration. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We have similar declarations like this. We might say, uh, many of us who became Christians saying the sinner's prayer might have said that, God, we know that we've must our life up, that um, you have provided a way for us in Christ. And then we would have said, and I give my life to you and trust you as my Lord and Savior, the forgiver and leader of my life. But this isn't just a conversion experience. This is something that we need to do over and over again. We say when we face various trials and things that scare us, Lord, those who seek refuge in you know your protection and your presence. I'll say, you are my refuge and my fortress. You are my God and whom I trust. Something that we have to come back to and say again and again. Now if you can imagine this said in a worship setting, most of this psalm Is kind of like a blessing or a benediction on the one who has declared their trust and hope in Yahweh. Um, Verses 3 to 13, I would say, is a priestly blessing. So, and the, the nice thing about this blessing is it's really kind of a description of what it's like to trust God. It begins. You will deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. From the schemes of those who try to hurt us that are are really out to get us. From You'll protect us from total destruction. You'll keep us safe. And we get here one of the most beautiful images in all of the Bible. When a fowler, one who hunts birds, comes out to get us. God Himself will cover us with His wings like a mother bird and protect us safe in the nest where nothing can harm us. It says His faithfulness is a shield and buckler or, you know, another way of saying that is a shield and our fortress, our sure protection. Once one commentator I read says in American parlance, They are God's Teflon people where their shield is nothing less than the faithfulness of God. And God is not capricious. He's not going to change His mind about caring for you and loving you and holding your life close to His. He's faithful. And He will protect you. What an image. God delivers us from danger. And He also delivers us from our fears. You will not fear the terror of the night, or the arrows that fly by day, or the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or the destruction that wastes at noonday. You don't have to be afraid. There were lots of reasons for the people of Israel to be afraid. I mean, life was like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow, like grass withering. But they knew when they clung to their God, they were safe. This is the truth for us. There are lots of things that make us afraid. They're not necessarily the same fears that are presented in this psalm. I was kind of trying to think about if the psalmist wrote today what we would list as our dangers that we would face. Certainly wouldn't be scared of a wild animal on the road most most of the time. But there, there are lots of places where our life is frail. The truth of this psalm is that when we are able to give our lives over to God and trust Him to be our refuge, we are safe. We do not have to be afraid. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying this, this is true. As you are able to surrender the parts of you that make you scared, we know the safety and the sure protection of God. Hmm. God delivers us from death. A thousand may fall. At my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me. Only look with my eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Hmm. We're all gonna die. But the truth is, as we have experienced life in Christ, though dying, we will not die. But the truth of the psalm I think is is really for us Christians that as we've come to know Jesus and have hidden our life in Him, we know the truth of everlasting hope of the life to come. There are things that will hurt us. There are things that will hurt the ones we love, but we are secure in knowing that Christ, our righteousness, has paid the price for us. That would be great if it ended there, but you know, the guy who did this priestly blessing, he just keeps talking and it's all really good stuff. He holds out to us The promise of freedom from evil and from harm. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. Wow. He says that we have angelic protection. He'll give his angels charge over you. On their hands they will bear you up so you will not dash your foot against a stone. I don't pretend to understand this. I, I believe in angels. We see them in the Bible. We see sometimes them intervene in the lives of people and give God's messages. We're told in Hebrews that when we're hospitable to strangers, we could be entertaining angels unaware. And that's really cool. But this is... The encouraging thing about this, that is if God is our refuge, He will use all the resources at His disposal, the, those who are under His authority, the angels, me- us, messengers to one another, to protect us, to keep us safe, to guide our steps. That's incredible. We can trust in god 's miraculous work in our life, and this uh, this last part of the the blessing is is the part about treading on lions and the adders and young lions and serpents these weren 't like little garden snakes that gum the rake when you 're when you're raking up your lawn after you, uh, you freshly mowed it. These weren't house cats. No, these were probably cobras that if they bit you, their venom would kill you. And there was no hope. These were predators that would tear your flesh off your bones and leave you dead. And what is said here... Is that we will be the ones that tread and trample them. It's interesting that the part about miraculous angelic protection is what Satan quotes when he talks to Jesus and gets him to kind of use his rights as God's own son as sort of a diplomatic immunity or a get-out-of-gravity-free card or whatever. When Jesus kind of uses this part, at least he kind of uses language fairly similar to this, to allude to our victory over Satan, the one that is our adversary who... Is out to destroy our life. He says, Here, let me pull it up. I'll just pull it out here. Let read from Luke 10. This Jesus had just sent out the seventy. And they came back praising God for all the things that they've seen Him do um, through them in the surrounding towns as they proclaim the good news. And Jesus says to them, I'll pick this up here, verse 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that your spirit... Rejoice that the spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your your name are written in heaven. Um, The kids sang it for us last week too. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. This is the truth. That for those who call the Lord their refuge, say that he is our deliverance, we have victory over the one that is out to destroy you and to bring you down. That is powerful stuff. I mean, that That is kind of like what you want a, a benediction to do, is to proclaim that... God is your hope in every danger, against death, against the elements that, are in the spirits that are out to destroy you, that you have the you have the promise of freedom and of hope and of new life. And it is that moment that God speaks. The last part of this, this chapter, verses 14 to 16. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them. And show them my salvation. This isn't new information in the psalm. This isn't like a divine twist. Most of this has already been said. This is God speaking. Speaking to the one who declares that God is their hope and their refuge. This is what God says to you. These are the words that he speaks over your life. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. I'll be with you in your troubles. I will rescue you. I will honor you with long life, eternal life, abundant life. I will satisfy you. I will show you my salvation. Salvation in the Hebrew Bible. Is a big concept. We tend to think of this as like God will save us from our sins, but salvation is this whole expansive reality that we enter into. We are in God, everything is new. This is the word of God for your life. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When you call, Deb, when you call, God will answer you. Jeff, he'll be with you in trouble. He'll rescue you and honor you. Long, everlasting, abundant, good life he'll satisfy you. And show you his salvation. Let me pray for us. God, even now, there are parts of ourself that cause us to recoil and hide from others. There are things that we don't like about ourselves. There are places we don't feel safe, places that we're scared. Lord, help us to trust in you, to know the goodness of the God who protects us like a mother bird from all the harm that of people that scheme at our destruction, of all the harm that comes to us from people, from the devil, from systems in this world. Help us to know that you are with us, And then in your arms, we are fully and completely safe, loved, rescued, honored. In your name I pray. Amen.